take your Bible, go to, uh, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's start there. I'm going to try to introduce this, and I don't want to confuse anyone, but um, we're going to look at this starting tonight. I'm going to preach four messages, and the four points are right on this paper, and I'm going to give you this. I'm not going to give you it now because it will just be distracting with the introduction. But I want to preach on uh, the subject this week of the moral compass and letting the principles of God's Word lead and guide and shape your life. And I think you'll see the importance of this, and this just all, all Bible. Um, there's actually four statements I'm going to preach on this week. That's it. For tonight, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I'm going to preach on four biblical statements. And they're so powerful and so impactful. They've really made a difference in my life, and I pray that God will use them in your life. So I'm going to pass this out tonight, um, and then you'll be able to maybe take some notes on it and understand a little bit more of what I'm talking about. But this morning, I want to try to set the stage, and I don't even know that I'll get done with, with setting the stage. I may have to finish that tonight, and then I'll get into the first point tonight. But um, I want to preach these five messages on the four points of a moral compass, what that means in our lives. In 2 Timothy Let's start in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'll just read a few verses just to kind of catch the, uh, the drift here of the passage. And then we're going to go to 2 Timothy. And let's pray before we read. Father, we need you today. Lord, I want to be a blessing and a help and an encouragement to this church. And I pray you'd help us to stick close to the Bible. I pray these texts would jump off the page and into our hearts. And we could understand them and see them in a different light than we've ever seen them before. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do a work in us, Father. We know that unless the Holy Spirit of God uh, applies the word to our hearts and illuminates and speaks to us, Father, this is just a, this is in vain. So, Father, we're inviting you, we're pleading with you, we're asking you, would you come? Would you find a resting place here in our midst? Lord, it's a, just a blessing to be saved today, to know you, to know that as this world spirals downward, that we are redeemed. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, Father. And I pray if there be one here today that's never been saved, God, please, please work in their hearts. But Lord, as we heard this morning, help us now to get low, to open our mouths wide, to realize, Lord, that we need to desire the sincere milk of the Word. We need to be taught, and we need to be led as sheep. So Lord, help us to get off our high horse. Help us, Father, just to prostrate ourselves before you in our hearts and I pray you'd speak to us through your word we love you and we thank you for what you've done and what you will do I pray you'd bind all devils and distractions away from this place right now right here Lord I pray that we would have free reign this week to be able to preach the word in Jesus name amen chapter number four of first Timothy now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith now, you can't say, well, I don't believe there's that many people departing, and then, you know, at another time say, I just believe we're in the latter times. He said in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. So this is what's going on today. We are in the latter times, and the Bible says, why are they doing this? They're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And I don't want to go real far on this just to mention that Depending on what you're viewing in your home, you could be piping devils into your house through your television set. There are people who claim to be saved and moral and pure people who are partaking of filthy, vile blasphemies to God right in their home, and it doesn't bother them because they become desensitized to it. Where they come, well, they're coming from somewhere. They're coming from the influences at work, at school, on the internet, on the television. The Bible says, speaking lies in hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So, in other words, you can have a conscience, a moral compass, a conscience, and it becomes seared because of these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You don't believe people are being seduced? Our home church has dealt with homosexuality several occasions of it in the last couple of years. People I know in our family, relatives, are being seduced into drugs and homosexuality and those type things. So, folks, it's hit home. It's hit America. It's hit the good guys. It's in our churches. It's, it, it, we've got a problem today, 
that people are being seduced by seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And what happens when that happens? Well, they're forbidding to marry. They're choosing rather fornication and sodomy and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And by the way, if you see the socialist utopia they're talking about, it's not a new currency, it's no currency. We can see the day approaching Antichrist's kingdom and all of its tenants being built for him to be able to assume his kingdom after the rapture. But one of the big things they say is that there's going to be a minimizing and ultimately an expulsion of meat from the diet of human beings. This is what their goal is. Now, you can't make this stuff up. And I can show you hundreds of points of what they're saying they'd like to do and where God called it out thousands of years ago. This is just another one maybe you hadn't thought about. Many you've already thought about, so I won't get into any of that. But the abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Let's drop down for sake of time. Uh, well, let's do this. Let's read verse 5. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourish up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Wait a minute. He's talking to the brethren. Yeah, he said, these are the things you better warn the brethren about. Because Christians are falling into these things. You, this is absolutely crazy and totally, maybe not totally relevant, but I'm shocked sometimes at what my kids have told me they've heard in Baptist church Sunday school classes. If you don't think some of this new age and crazy you know, vegan stuff and all this business. So, and again, if you want to save your pop cans and you want to wash out your bottles, I mean, next they'll have you down at the dump, you know, scooping stuff up. But you go right ahead and do that. God's going to burn all this mess up. And I'm not against for, you know, a clean environment and all of that. But to teach it instead of the Word of God, to replace the Word of God. So my children came to me one Sunday and said, hey, what'd you learn in Sunday school class today? We learned about going green. Really? Tell me about that. Because I'm thinking, maybe there's some twist, you know, because everybody's going green, we're going to go green for Jesus. I didn't know what it was. Well, you know, they asked us, you know, the teacher asked us, what are we going to do to go green, and how are you going to save your pop cans, and how, you know, save the owls and the fleas, and, you know, whatever else. I'm just sitting there with my mouth hanging open. Now, again, if you want to teach that, and you want to even teach that in school to a degree, it becomes worship, is what it becomes, is demonic worship, and away from God and against the Bible. A lot of that mess, because they just take it to extremes. But in, instead of preaching the Word of God, you're going to teach kids how to go, okay, this is really great. This is stupid stuff they're doing in churches. So notice verse, say, that, that was crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Amen? But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, take your Bible very quickly. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. What does he say over here? Well, notice, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Isn't it interesting? Same preacher, same recipient, same truths, twice emphasized now. I think, I think Paul was wanting Timothy to know some things. What will happen in these perilous times? Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. I, I don't, I'm not for victimhood at all. Amen? But let me just say this. Anybody in here felt despised a little bit more in the last few months just because of who you are, who you voted for, who your Savior is, the fact that you back police, you back your military, I mean, it's not just the disagreement anymore. Now we're despised, okay? Notice this. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. CNN ought to publish this, amen, because this is really what the news is today. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Isn't it amazing how religious Mrs. Pelosi is? Let's vote to kill children right up to nine months. Oh, yes, and I love Jesus, too, and I'm a good Christian. And over and over and on and on, we could name and list them that claim to have some form of godliness, 
but they deny God in everything they do. And it's not just the politicians. This is what the perilous times are like across the board. So notice this. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins led away with diverse lust. And he say, again, that's the world out there. But the first text we proved, he said, you better make sure the brethren understand this. And now he's saying, be careful because it'll creep right into the houses that you deal with, that you work with. This is coming into Christian homes. Uh, silly women laden with sins, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I'll, I'll stop right there for sake of time. And let me just say a few things and we'll get to our major text. But the Apostle Paul declared the last days would be perilous times. And it's getting harder and harder to deny the fact that in the days in which we live, that man's deeds are indeed, as the Apostle Paul warned us in this third chapter of 2 Timothy, man's deeds are waxing worse and worse. In fact, how many times have you heard somebody say, it's spiraling now? Or what happened in the last year was worse than what happened in eight years under President Obama. And so worse and worse seems to be popping into our minds and into our vocabulary just because of what we see without even thinking that it lines up with the Bible, but it exactly lines up with the Scripture. Yes, indeed, in the perilous times in which we live, it's becoming more and more evident that with every passing day, many people have lost that which was once referred to as their moral compass. I want to deal with that this week. Let me just give you a few examples. I was just reading an article a few days ago where the Democrat Party would like to push for a, a, a mandatory nationwide being able to abort your child right up to nine months, right up till the time of birth. There's a big faction of them, and you say, well, that will never happen. Did you think the stuff that's happened 10 years ago would happen? No, folks, but it's going to wax worse, and it's going to wax worse. All we can do is sit back and say, they've lost their moral compass. They've lost their bearings. I mean, they're, they're like a ship that is adrift and has no direction whatsoever. And whichever way it's tossed, that's the way it goes. Think about it, the gender confusion today. And not just gender confusion, but it being enforced and pushed on children today to question whether they're a boy or a girl. And what's in vogue today is now to have a child and not determine what it is until the child decides what it wants to be. I'm sorry, I thought scientifically that was already determined a long time ago. You have two chromosomes and they're either XX or YY and you're either a man or a woman. By the way, the Bible declared it long before science ever verified it. God created them a man and a woman, amen? But there's gender confusion. What happened? How could this be? How could they be allowing little children to go and get operations and give them hormone shots and put a little boy in a dress and then later, like a lot of them are, they're either getting saved or repenting or saying that was the worst decision in my life or they're simply blowing their brains out, many of them before they hit 40 years old. What's going on? They have lost their moral compass. It is immoral to do anything like that to a child. It is immoral for us to think there's more than one gender. It's absolutely craziness and then pedophilia and the big push now which we all knew was coming but again 10 years ago we said it tongue-in-cheek where will this end up there'll come a day they'll try to legalize pedophilia we are living in the days when they would like for that to happen and by the way as goes California there's going to go the rest of America what has happened how could you even think about the unthinkable with a small child instead of protecting them they have lost their moral compass and I'm not just talking about outside the church in many cases in the church anarchy you talk, what, what was so crazy about this whole impeachment thing was this glaring, these glaring pictures that the Republican attorneys were showing for President Trump. Let's burn her down. Let's burn this whole thing down to the ground. And they never stopped the burning down of American cities and then tried to pin on President Trump because of a statement that he made. Now, I'm not going to rehash the whole trial, but I'm just saying, let's face it, folks, there is anarchy in America right now. There's absolute lawlessness. And by the way, if you lived in, in 
in a, a, a Minneapolis, you'd agree with me right now. If you lived in Seattle, if you lived in Portland, if you lived in Washington, D.C., if you're in Philadelphia or Detroit, you would completely say, I get that. I've seen, I was with Brother Courtney Lewis. He's the one that gives you those cool scripture masks to wear. He said, hey, they're going to make me wear a mask. I'm going to preach to them. Amen. But I was with Brother Courtney Lewis, and it wasn't long before I was with him that they came, and they banged on his doors, and they were literally going to come in and drag those people out of there. Thankfully, he had them all locked down, amen, because he lives in gangbanger country, and so they weren't able to get in there. But, I'm, but he said, I stood, and he said, I looked out the windows of my church with men that were here armed to guard our building because they were burning buildings down in Chicago. They destroyed the Miracle Mile in Chicago. He said, I'd never seen that in our city before. Coming down through, just beating people up and punching people and clubbing people and smashing windows and setting things on fire and flipping cars over. He said, it was never like that in my lifetime. And I grew up in the city of Chicago from a little baby. What's going on? We are looking at days of anarchy. Perilous times have come. What's happened? America's lost its moral compass. Many Christians have lost their moral compass. Others haven't maybe lost it yet, but they're drifting off the path. And we need to get our moral compass back. We need to remember again what is right and what is true and what is good. And we need to say no to the things that are wicked and bad and ungodly. Have you not thought on what they're doing to children and babies and maybe sat back and said, how can they possibly think this is okay? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can you, does that reverberate in your heart and mind? You ever sat back and said, that is so wicked, I just can't even think about it. If I think on that, I think bad things. I, I want to go and stop it. I want to get physical. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Look, our society has lost its moral compass when we sit back and say, they don't even know what they're doing or where they're going or what this is going to cause or how destructive this is. Let's face it, they've lost their moral compass. Today's university student, from there all the way down to young children. My friend, listen, they're challenged and they're, they're changed and they're knocked off course daily by Satan. America is now calling evil good and good evil. I have watched dozens of interviews on university campuses and it's not just a small little sampling, but it is almost across the board that once a child gets on a university campus, it, whether it's a public or a private university, they all have an extreme amount of pressure and wickedness to succumb and throw your morality out, throw the old-fashioned standards of biblical purity and God's word out of your life and come into the new era of progressiveness and they ask these kids questions and it's just I sit there in disbelief when they say I'm not even sure I exist I don't even know if you're here I don't know if this is reality you sit back and say how did we get there look we have lost our moral compass turn if you would to Isaiah chapter 5 with me Isaiah chapter 5 now, there's an answer to this, amen, and we're going to get to that, but let us set the stage this morning. Isaiah chapter number 5, because here's the deal, folks. I don't want to lose my moral compass. You ever feel yourself getting cold? You ever felt yourself desensitized to them taking God's name in vain on your television? You ever feel yourself letting things go? Now, it's okay if homosexuals are on, it's just as long as they're not smooching. Do you, you ever feel yourself to where the devil is threatening you and trying to take away the morality and the purity of your heart? There's pressure upon all of us, folks. Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 20, the Bible says, Woe unto them that are wise, or I'm sorry, verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. By the way, contextually, I get that this was to Jews, but I'm here to tell you that the same morality of the God of the Old Testament is the same morality of the God of the New Testament. Although we're not under the ceremonial law, although we're not under a sacrificial mosaic system, I want you to understand that, my friend, there are communicable and non-communicable attributes of God. And look, and there are laws, my friend, that are no longer binding. And then there's the moral law and the moral character of God that is still just as binding today as it ever was and my friend God says I am angry there is judgment coming whether it's Old Testament or New Testament for those who would call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter woe to them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight Woe to them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked 
for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Man, you look at verse number 23. Is that not what we're seeing today? People who will justify the wicked for money and then take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. They would love to make all of us morally bankrupt so that we would lose our moral compass in America. They've been smashing and trying to destroy the moral compass of a nation. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossoms shall go up, up uh, as dust. Because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, they despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Again, this is like a newspaper article. It is so relevant to exactly what is going on today. What I'm saying is this. We're losing our moral compass. We're losing all semblance of Christianity and morality we are becoming a people that is no longer a good people they're getting to the we're getting to the point where they're more evil people more destructive people more anarchists more hateful people than there are good people we're at a tipping point in our country and we are losing our moral compass you say what is a moral compass one source defines the phrase moral compass like this an inner sense which distinguishes what is right from what is wrong. And may I say, America had a, quote, moral compass, even amongst people who did not know the Lord at times. There was a semblance of things you did and you just didn't do. Societal norms that were right and proper and good to a peaceable, well-doing society. Things, my friend, that were just proper. But listen, it goes on and says, an inner sense which distinguishes right from wrong, functioning as a guide, like the needle of a compass for morally appropriate behavior. With that definition in mind, please turn to 1 Peter chapter number 2 with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we are going to park in 1 Peter. And we're going to be here quite a bit for the rest of the week. But go to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me. I'd really like to lay a, a, a lengthy foundation... Now here Peter is directing our attention to what, for the purpose of our study this morning and this week, I'm calling the four points of a moral compass. Now you say, well that, that phrase is not used in Scripture. No, but I believe you'll understand better why I'm saying that and why I believe this to be the case in this, in this text of Scripture as we go through the messages this week. And I believe you'll, you'll agree with me on this. There's just there's four awesome statements that God puts together and this encompasses the morality and all that is good and all that is right and all that is bad and all that is evil to avoid. And we'll get to that here. But here Peter is directing our attention to, again, what I'm calling the, the four points of a moral compass. For context's sake, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 11. Now, I may refer back a little bit as we go through this, and I may make some comments as I go through this. But it is verse 17 that we'll look at ultimately the four points of a moral compass that I believe the Lord would have me to bring to your attention uh, throughout the week. And again, you see those four points on here. They are fear God, honor the king, honor all men, and love the brotherhood. And we'll get to those as we go through the week. We'll give you that handout later this evening if you'd like to take some notes down or something like that. But uh, again, I'm going to start reading here in verse number 11 and, uh, and try to bring this to your attention. We'll get down to verse 17, but it's good for us to understand the context. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse number 11. He said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, you say, what are you talking about strangers and pilgrims? Well, if you go back to verse 9, I don't want to do this a lot, but notice where he says there, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Hey, we're strange, amen? We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. And he said, hey, based on the fact that you're strangers and pilgrims, you're just passing through. Don't get involved in all those things in the world. Abstain from those because they war against your soul that is on its way to heaven. We're passing through as strangers and pilgrims on our way to heaven, but there's all these fleshly lusts out there, and they'd like to stick to us and grab us and drag us down. And he says, abstain from those because they're warring against your soul. Notice verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, 
that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. We'll get to each of these in a moment, but let me just say this. It absolutely does matter what kind of life you live in church, out of the church, every day, with your neighbors, at the grocery store. It makes a huge difference to their salvation as to the kind of lives that we live. And so he says, look, have your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Verse number 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Now, why should I do that? And by the way, this has become a great bone of contention and there's many questions as to where the line is, how much I should obey, how much I should not obey. I lecture quite a bit on the revolution and uh, one of the things I do in a Baptist Heritage Conference is people come and they'll ask me, uh, after I talk about the revolution and how Baptists almost down to a man fought in the revolution, they'll say, should Christians have gotten involved in war at all? Should Christians have fought in the revolution? And so I begin to walk through and I begin to show how there is a personal defense that Jesus verified was proper. There's a national defense we see in the Old Testament. There's also the concept of throwing off tyrannical governments when they get to a place of absolute despotism where the innocent can no longer defend themselves and we must rise up to defend them, when we can no longer feed our families, when there's genocide in the minds of the rulers and that has uh, been set forth and all of that. And so we get into that discussion. But let me just say this, and I'm just going to say this in a general sense. Right now, I don't sense it. And let me just back up a minute. People, well, how did they know? How did the Baptists know they should go? And they did, and they were at the first session of Continental Congress a representation of Isaac Backus, the uh, Baptist minister from, from uh, Massachusetts, and, and uh, also uh, James Manning, the man who founded the school at Rhode Island, which became Brown University, and then John Ganot, the one that baptized General Washington at the conclusion of the Revolution, and, uh, and Hezekiah Smith, the famous pastor in Haverhill, Massachusetts, were there at the first session of Continental Congress saying that we unite with our dear countrymen for every prudent, uh, every prudent activity to and recourse to be able to go and to win our liberty and such. But how did all of them know that? By the way, there's a great story that goes along with all of that, how John and Sam Adams argued with the Baptists about what kind of liberty and what kind of nation would be born. But people say, how did they know? And the truth is, the answer is, and Brother Bell and I kicked this around for years and discussed this numerous times, the Holy Spirit showed them. How else can you explain that all the Baptists at one time decided now it is time to stand up? Now it is time to throw off a tyrannical government. Now that being said, and we could really spend a lot of time on this, and I don't, that's not my purpose today, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet. Now you may want to go charge the White House again or something like that. I don't think we're there yet. In fact, I think that we ought to do what the Bible says because when there's a question, what should we do? Should we be rebellious? Should we go against our government? The Bible warns about things like that. And we better be very careful because a lot of times it gets to be just my pride. And what happens is the lost see me act this way and the lost see not standing for liberty but a spirit of rebellion and not trying to stand up for the innocence but just because of my pride and what America was. And look, I'm as patriotic as the next guy, but let me just tell you something. America is a Gentile nation. That's all she's been. She had a special place. God used her. I get all of that. But she's going to go the way of all the earth like every other Gentile nation. And we, can, we got to be careful about defending and trying to save America while we're letting precious souls go to a devil's hell. Now, why am I saying that? Because that's what this text is saying. Look at your Bible again. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Notice verse 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, the lost are watching us. And yes, there may come a time, and I think we'll all know when that time is, but the fact that nobody's ready to do anything about it and everybody's still sitting around tells me that time is not here yet. So what's it time to do now? Follow the law the best of our ability, be a good testimony. That doesn't mean be a stupid sheep and let them do whatever they want to do. But my friend, we, ought, we need to be very careful about our testimony. As free, he said, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Now, verse 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, 
fear God, honor the king. So let me just state, in verses 11 through 16, Peter is giving his readers godly counsel for living the Christian life, much as we see Paul do in his epistles. And then in verse number 17, much like Jesus took, remember when Jesus took the Ten Commandments there and he condensed them into two, amen? On all these hang the law and the prophets, amen? Peter takes all that he said in verses 11 through 16 and he sums up all of that counsel in four brief statements. Look at it again. We're gonna, we're, you're going to know this this week, amen? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. These four statements will make up the four points of a moral compass. Now let me just say some things about compasses and why the analogy for the sake of this week's meeting. Compasses and the four points we find on them, north, south, east, and west, provide us with needed direction and guidance. In many situations, the compass is the most vital tool. There's no way to exaggerate the importance of a compass to somebody out, a ship's captain, or a wilderness elk hunter, for example. I remember several years ago, I had the privilege of hunting elk in Oregon, and I had no idea what was about to happen. There was a particular fellow with us, his name was Tim. And I'll never forget the night that we told Tim, uh, you know, we all got up the top of this mountain. You had to drive a four-wheeler about 30 minutes up the mountainside like this, all the way to the top of this big mountain. Then when you got to the top of the mountain, you had to go down the other side and up through this saddle and onto the other side. And it was just, we walked about 30-plus miles that week. But I'll never forget we left Tim off. And Tim, I mean, he just wasn't as sharp. I'll just be as kind as I can uh, as maybe he should have been at his age. He was probably 35, 40 years of age. And, uh, but I remember Tim wanting to go off on his own. We told Tim, well, Tim, if you get lost, which we assumed he may have a problem with, and we probably should never let him go off by himself, but if you get lost, all you have to do is walk down this mountain. Because if you don't hit this road, you'll hit this one. And sooner or later, you'll find the road. Just keep going south. We'll meet you down at the four-wheelers, down, tr down at the truck, and everything like that. We'll, we'll load the four-wheelers, and we'll go back home and stuff. And so anyway, we went hunting, and... And we got done with our hunt. We got back up to the top. It was probably 8.30. It was dark. It had been dark for about 30 minutes. It had been sleeting and all that stuff throughout the day. And we were all real cold. And we got up there and uh, no Tim. We thought, uh-oh, where's Tim? We started yelling for Tim. It, it got, time started getting away. It got to be about 10 o'clock. And the, the, the fellow who was with me, he was a surveyor. He walked every day of his life. I mean, he knew that mountain's like the back of his head. He had killed an elk every single year with a bow for like 31 years or something like that when I hunted with him. This was 15 years ago probably. And I'll never forget, he went out, looked, and Tim, Tim, I can hear him yelling. He'd come back, no Tim. It's getting to be about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. All of a sudden, he decides he's going to go out looking for Tim. And so he takes his four-wheeler and he goes down the road and, and he's gone. And now I'm up there and I've got this little itty-bitty fire going. I can hear wolves howling in the distance and... Man, I'm, I had seen a bear probably about 100 yards from us, big old five, 600-pound bear walking down over, and we had found scat and everything, so I'm scared to death, amen? I've got a bow. I had no gun. I had a bow and a little old bowie knife on my side, you know, and this little old fire, and, and it dawned on me when my flashlight started dying. I had to run out and get wood in the dark to bring it back to the fire, and so I'm scared to death, and probably about two and a half hours later, yes, I was actually afraid up there, amen? About two and a half la hours later, here he comes, and I can hear, and he comes all the way up, and, and, and I'm like, what's going on? I found Tim. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, he said, I, I remember that little bump where, where it always bogs out, where there's water? There was one spot on a 30-minute ride where there was this deal where there was some water, and a four-wheeler tried to bog out. He said it died on the way down. I didn't let it warm up. He said, when it died, I heard somebody yelling, help, help, faintly. He said, I yelled back, and it was Tim. He said, he's about 150 yards off the trail, just at the top of his lungs yelling. He was, he, and he said, I got over there, and he was hunkered down. He had cut the limbs off of a pine tree and covered himself. Tim had told him, I had made my peace with God. I knew I was going to die here. What happened was the, those palmer worms or whatever they were killed all the trees and you had to walk on top of them with these big metal cork shoes. And miles you would walk on top of trees through those forests. It was really an amazing thing. I had to go buy corks when I got out there. But Tim got off the track. And instead of coming down the mountain over here, he was way over here. He said, I kept going down and down, but I couldn't find it. He said, it got dark. He said, why didn't you get the stuff out of your pack? 
He said, my wife used my pack to go shopping the day before we left. She'd emptied everything out. He said, among them was matches, a lighter, a space blanket, water, food, you guessed it, a compass. He said, without the compass, I, I had no idea where I was at. Or, and without any light to see a compass, I, I was doomed. He said, I, I just knew I was going to die. He said, when I got to the point, I couldn't climb over any more trees. And I looked around and couldn't see anything anymore. He said, I knew I was dead. He had been laying under there for about four hours. And he said, my body started getting warm, which happens right before you die when you have hypothermia. He said, I knew that I was going home to meet the Lord. And all of a sudden, he said, I had this dream that there was a light coming down over the hill. And he said, it was you and you stopped him and he said it was just an amazing thing but what am I trying to say look a compass is vital and what I'm telling you is our country has lost its moral compass it is eroded and people are dying today and our country is dying I'm reminded of how much our forefathers relied on a small round compass that they carried in their pockets oftentimes I think of Lewis and Clark and how they found their compass is no doubt indispensable as they took their expedition westward across this great country look my friend today our GPS's are simply a more technologically developed compass and just think of about how utterly dependent we have become upon them. Uh, by the way, my GPS brought me in here again last night safely, amen? So much so that map reading has become a lost art. Last week, my wife came and all those laminated, beautiful maps you pay about 12 bucks for at the pilot, you know, or the, uh, or the flying J. We had a stack. My wife said, I know that you paid a lot of money for these. We have them for almost every state. She said, but we couldn't even sell them on, e couldn't even sell them on eBay or, or uh, Facebook Marketplace. Nobody wants maps anymore. And so we literally threw threw them in the trash. Yes, indeed. Listen, that is what we see today physically speaking and spiritually. Dare I say the Bible is our moral compass. Here's your moral compass right here, our GPS. But sadly, like a GPS, many are trusting what someone else tells them rather than doing some map reading and reading it for themselves. They, they just trust what other people are saying instead of looking at the Bible. Checking out your compass and reading God's map are indispensable tools of navigating your way through the perilous minefield of the world in which we live today. I want to just very quickly examine our text. Please bear with me. I want to walk us through the subjects that Peter addresses in verse 11 through 16. Again, if you go to 1 Peter chapter number 2 with me, then we'll get to the four points of a moral compass this evening that he speaks of in verse number 17. First of all, would you notice with me in verse number 11 how that Peter gets very personal as he begins this section in verse 11. Doing so by addressing his readers with the term of endearment, dearly beloved. Now the passage before that speaks of their salvation and how blessed it is even to know him and to be these people who were chosen and a royal priesthood and elect and all these wonderful things. And, and then he calls them dearly beloved. Then from endearment he pivots to entreaty. I beseech you. Essentially, he's begging them to incorporate that which he's about to challenge them with into their lives. Now think about this. Dearly beloved, I'm begging you to listen to what I'm about to say. Dearly beloved, we cannot overlook this. We must listen to what God's word is saying. It's then that Peter addresses several subjects in succession. Notice in verse 11, he starts by addressing the subject of separation notice what he says there he says dearly beloved i beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul you see my friend it is separation from sin and to god abstaining from all appearance of evil as paul put it that is an, an essential element in living a successful christian life you know, separation is so overlooked today. Well, and I'm talking to Christians and they're saying, well, you know, I understand the Catholics don't believe exactly like us, but I don't say anything, you know, about their teachings. My friend, people are going to hell in that cult. My family was going to hell in that cold, and now it's like nobody wants to say anything anymore. I know that, you know, uh, having good friends that are homosexuals and letting your kids stay over at their house, I know that a lot of people don't like that, but I just don't see anything really wrong with that. I know that drinking's not for everybody, but I just drink some wine and some beer once in a while. May I say, my friend, that we are losing separation, and Peter is saying, look, that you've got to listen. You've got to live a separated life. Notice what he says again. He said, look, abstain from fleshly lust. They war against your soul. 
separation from sin and to God, abstaining from all appearance of evil. Uh, look, it's a part of the Christian life that has an undeniable effect on, on that which Peter next touches on. What do you mean? If you won't separate, your testimony will lose its power. It will lose its impact. It, it will lose its ability to deal with someone else's heart. God won't be able to use you as powerfully in someone else's life. Notice verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now that, that just doesn't mean that when you sell somebody something, you give it to them and it's a good product like you promised and you, get, you only get the amount that you asked for. It's not talking about business dealings. It's talking about living your life honestly, a separated life before the God of heaven. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So look, the believer's testimony. We have been commanded by our Lord in Matthew 5, 16, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And deed, that is our main purpose for being here. So listen, the separation leads into the testimony. Now if I go to Florida... And we are offering free drug counseling. I'm a former drug addict. And by the way, that's just another hook. Amen? We're offering free marital counseling too. So if you come to me, we're going to focus on the marriage. We're going to focus on the drugs. But guess where we're going? Amen? And guess one of the first things we're going to talk about? It's going to be Jesus. But what if I have some drug addict and I already had a pastor and his wife reach out to me. They said, we're turning our son out. Literally, before I got to, I'm not even down there yet. This is about four days ago. Would you please help our son? He's a drug addict, and, and we had to turn him out of the house. He's just, he's addicted, and he's, he's ruining his life and ruining everything around him. Will you please help us? Now, what if I go down there, and I sit down with him, and I say, hey, here, let's smoke a, let's smoke a bone, you know, let's smoke some pot, and then we'll, then we'll talk about your drug problem. How do you think that's going to go over? Your testimony, absolutely, it's undeniable. Your separation and the way you live, it is vital to whether or not you have a testimony before the lost. You know what he needs to see? He needs to see victory in my life. He needs to see, hey, that yeah, you were where I'm at and God did this in your life and therefore I've got some faith and confidence. Maybe God could do that for me as well. But we've got to show that living an honest life, a successful, victorious life before the world. In verses 13 and 14 then we read, submit yourselves. Here we come to submission to authority Peter deals with. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Well, I don't like it. We'll do it for the Lord's sake. See, why does he throw that in? Because Christian is able to do anything if it's for the Lord's sake. Well, I don't like what the president, and I don't like what the senate, and I don't like what the mayor, and I don't like what the governor, yeah, but, but don't do it for them. Just do it for the Lord's sake. The reason we follow the laws and we're good citizens of our country is because people are watching and we're doing it for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. You know, our argument about living rebellious lives against our government, it falls to pieces when you compare even as bad as America is with the governments that we're talking about in the Bible. I mean, there's literally no comparison. We're talking about wicked, ungodly governments. We can go to many places in the Bible and illustrate that. Indeed, listen, how a person responds to the authority figures in their life tells you a lot about them. Now, you're not going to like this statement, some of you. In fact, how a person responds to the authority figures in their life tells more about them than it does about the authority figures over them. So, like, if you have a rebellious spirit, you're going to be rebellious against government. Amen. Boy, it's quiet in here. Am I, is this not in the Bible? Is anybody, are you seeing this, or you think I'm just pulling this stuff out of thin air? Amen. Now, you think I'm happy about some of the stuff going on? Happiness has nothing to do with doing it as unto the Lord. Keeping good, good. Let me just say this. I can go get wrapped up in a militia. I can go get angry, and I can protest every day. But then people in Homestead are going to hell. Which one do you think ought to do? Which one do you think you ought to do? Get caught up in the news so bad by the time it's 10 o'clock in the day, you want to do some crazy stuff or just get in the Bible and love people and win people to Jesus Christ? I'm saying, yeah, there's, there's some justification and, and the disgruntledness and, and the way that we don't like a lot of this, but there's something bigger. There's people going to a Christless eternity. So how you respond to authority tells more about you than it does about the authority figures that you're rebelling against. That's a subject I'll come back to in a bit since y'all loved it so much. Amen? 
But moving on to verses 15 and 16, Peter next addresses the subject of liberty in Christ. Notice what he says. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So that's why we do what we do. Because if we appear to be crazy, they're not going to listen to our gospel. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Indeed, salvation does bless the recipient with liberty, but that liberation from sin does not include a license to sin. Amen? In other words, my friend, yes, God says you have liberty, but that doesn't mean you can do anything you want to. That means you're liberated from sin to follow God and do the perfect will of God for your life. So those are the topics, the subjects that Peter briefly addresses in verses 11 through verse number 16. And then I want you to look at verse number 17. Here's where he does like what Jesus does. He summarizes, and there's not another verse like this in the Bible in several senses. We'll show you that later. But he says, honor all men, period. Love the brotherhood, period. Fear God, period. Honor the king, period. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would help us this week as we prepare and ready our hearts to study these truths from your word that will help us to refocus our life and to find out true north again. Lord, it just seems like so many of us in our churches and our people are despondent, discouraged, depressed, lonely, and hurting and disillusioned. And Father, I pray that we could just reset ourselves and as Jesus did, to set our face like a flint to do the perfect will of God with our lives. Lord, we know the time is short and I don't want to be found floundering, wandering, drifting. So Lord, I pray as we look at this text this week, as we examine these truths, Father, I pray that you again would change our hearts and change our lives. Help us today, Lord, to realize as we saw from Peter that we must live a separated life to have a proper testimony. We must also not get so caught up in hating our government that we blow and lose our testimony and our focus on reaching people with the gospel. Lord God, would you please help us to find that balance, to find that Holy Spirit control and leadership where, Father, we can still be dis dis uh, concerned about the things going on around us, but understand that the greatest thing is to love you and to love sinners. Help us to bring that into focus this week. And I pray that you revive our hearts, revive our minds. Help us to leave this place today, Lord, determined to talk to somebody about Jesus. Father, I pray this week that we would see even visitors to come. I know that, Lord, during this time, it's hard enough even to get uh, dedicated church members sometimes even come to the house of God. But Lord, you can do anything. We believe you and we believe in your power and we've seen you do miracles in our midst many times. So I pray, Lord, that we would see some lost souls come out this week and hear the truth of your word. I pray, Father, that as we focus this week on your word, even though some may not see where this message is going, where this series is going, I pray that you would make things come into focus and you would cause us by the end of this week to be strengthened and challenged and, Lord, stronger in the Lord than we've ever been before. Father, please prepare us for last day's living in this meeting, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand, please. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Peter says, Dearly beloved, I'm begging you to listen to these truths. Have you lost focus? Have you gotten off track? Are you drifting? Just happy to be hanging on to the ship? Or are you following the master full steam ahead? Does your life still have purpose? Are you still gaining ground? Are you still getting to where you're going? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And sister, if you just play for us softly. God spoke to your heart about anything at all today. I pray that you'll do business with him on this altar.
I know this is an unusual series of messages and meetings. Right now we're just basically laying a foundation. I'm going to tell you what, Peter told us enough already. We'll all be convicted down to our socks. If you got nothing else from this morning's message, you better realize that God cares about your testimony because God uses people to bring others to Christ. The testimony and witness to me wouldn't have been anything had I not seen the change in my brother. It matters how you live. May I encourage you at least for this meeting, stop looking at the news for a few days. Stop letting that dictate your spirit, your attitude, your testimony. Well, I'm discouraged. Yeah, get your face out of the internet. Get in the book. May I say that the world is losing its moral compass, but we as believers, we have the Word of God, and I pray it will anchor us again this week that we might be able to start seeing things clearly again and going forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to be sitting idly by letting the world happen. We're to be affecting it and changing it every day. We may not be able right now to have the impact we did, but we can have an impact. Say, well, I don't think anybody would come this week because of COVID. Well, you won't know unless you call them. You won't know unless you invite them. There's flyers in the back. You won't know unless you talk to somebody. Let's not lose our hope, our faith, our trust. Would y'all look up here for just a minute? I can't tell you how many times I've been saying this to people in the last year. It's like when somebody reaches out to somebody and they hurt them or they reach out to try to witness to somebody and they don't care or they just slam the door in their face. And I find myself saying this, and I really feel like this applies to us. We can't stop hoping all things, believing all things. We can't ever just say God lost power, COVID came, America's going down, we have a bad president, what are we going to do? and just give up. We can't do that. Because the same God that was on the throne the day before the election is still on the throne today. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to tell you this, we're going to go, by the grace of God, try to start a church. And that's not your will of God for your life, but you know what it is? To go witness to somebody. Tell somebody. Love somebody. Don't stop hoping all things and believing all things. We're starting to become a part of the problem instead of being the solution to the problem. By God's grace, let's not quit. Amen? Hallelujah.